0: The hymn we have just sung, Our Father is fitting to prepare us for coming to the table in a few minutes. For without our Savior we have nothing. With our Savior we have everything. We have His robe of righteousness. We have His fulfillment of of the law. We have His life. We have His spirit. We have His hope. We have His brotherhood. We have His fellowship. We have His promise of a heavenly marriage that will last into eternity. We have everything we need For life now, for godliness now, and for life and godliness in eternity. We are not deficient in any way because of this Savior Jesus. And in the same way, we not only have all that we need through Him for eternity and salvation, But His gifting, His robes of righteousness are also what prepare us for what Paul speaks of in this passage, prepares us for ministry and service and caring for one another in the flock of Christ. And so, Father, might we embrace His righteousness, might we cling to Him, might we be transformed by Him even in this hour. And even as we come to this word and this passage, we're aware, our Father, of so many needs in our flock. A number of us grieve this week of untimely and sudden death. A number of us are weary, weary physically and weary spiritually. We almost feel hopeless. Without Christ, we would be hopeless. But some of us are are battling against sin and against temptation. And our hearts are weary in the fight. Some of us are struggling with relationships. Relationships that are broken relationships that are weak, relationships that are needy, and we are not positioned to help. Our hearts are grievous and broken. We are weary of what we see going on in the land around us. Even as we gather here in a sanctuary, a place of rest and peace, of worship, we are well aware of the brokenness outside these walls. We are aware of distrust. We are aware of disharmony. We are aware of anger and hatred and violence. We are aware not only of of brokenness in the culture but we're aware that even governmental leaders are fundamentally opposed to one another and seemingly unwilling to work together for the common good of the people of this land. And Father, we, we, need, we need hope, we need confidence, we need something to lean on and rest on. Would you give us that? This morning, in this word, would you change us by this word? And while we are ill equipped to change the world, we are equipped to minister to one another in the body of Christ and be a light to the world. So, would you make us effective this morning in our service and in so doing? would You make us to be hopeful for all of the variety of circumstances in which we individually live. Again, Father, we come to this Word seeking, asking, begging for You to change us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. When James was seven years old, he was hit by a bread delivery truck. The accident was traumatic, forced him into recovery for six months at home, left a chunk missing out of his skull. In fact, if you look at pictures from his adulthood, you can see the indentation in his skull where a piece of the bone is missing. From that point on, from seven years of age until he entered into university, he had to wear a metal plate over his head to protect his skull. He was told to refrain from all kinds of physical activities, all sports were off the table, and he was largely confined to home. And so James was already something of a loner, and that accident made him even more of a loner and forced him to pull inward even more, clinging to books and quiet activities in the home. Four years later, when he turned 11, he really wanted a bicycle. All of his friends had bicycles. And he thought it only fitting that he would get a bicycle too. In fact, in that day and time, in the place where James lived, all boys entering 11 years of age and the the corresponding age uh, uh, grade in school would typically get a bike for their birthday. And so he kept dropping not-so-subtle hints to his parents. This is the year for my bike. This is the year I get a bike. All my friends have bikes. Wouldn't it be good for me to have a bike so I could bike to school? His biographer tells the story of what happened on his 11th birthday. On the morning of his 11th birthday in 1937, James wandered down from his bedroom to see what present awaited him. The family had a tradition of placing birthday presents in the dining room of the house, He came down expecting to find a bicycle. Instead, he found an old Oliver typewriter. Seriously. It seemed to weigh half a ton, the biographer says. Although it was old, it was nevertheless in excellent condition. It was not, it was not what James had asked for. Nevertheless, It proved to be what he needed. Surprise gave way to delight as he realized what he could do with this unexpected gift. It was not more than a minute before he had put paper into the machine and started to type. It proved to be his best present and his most treasured possession of his boyhood. As they gave that gift to James, his parents had no idea Of how that gift would transform his life. And dare I say millions of others. For from the ink of that typewriter belonging to James. Whom you might know by a different name. J.I. Packer. Has flowed dozens of books that have sold millions of copies. You probably have some in your home all of that happened because he received a gift he really didn't want. This morning we're coming to the topic of spiritual gifts. And it may be that as you think about spiritual gifts, you're thinking something like, well, yeah, spiritual gifts, that's for those other people. That's for, that's for the people who are really mature and who are really distinguished and who are really faithful. Spiritual gifts, yeah, those are the things that other people get, but not me. Or spiritual gifts, yeah, they're the things that, that, that others get that are prominent, but I just, I just get the barest of gifts, the smallest of gifts, the most insignificant of gifts, and I'm really irrelevant in the body of Christ. What we will find this morning in Romans chapter 12 in these verses is that we all have gifts that are best for us, whatever gift you have received from the hand of a gracious God, it is not a secondary gift, it is a primary gift, it is an essential gift, it is a good gift, it is the best gift that God could give you. Not just give to you, but give to you so that you can give it to the rest of the body of Christ. Here's what Paul will say in these verses spiritual gifts. Are God's gracious enablement for your ministry to the church. It's God's grace to you. It's God's kindness to you so that you can be an expression of grace and kindness to others. Spiritual gifts are God's gracious enablement for your ministry to the church. As we look at these verses, what we will find is three categories of gifts and two implications for those gifts. Three categories of gifts, and then two implications of those gifts. As we come to this passage, you'll remember that it's in the context of Paul's transition. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, he has laid out a theology of what life and ministry looks like, a basic of theology to demonstrate that he is an orthodox preacher, an orthodox teacher, and that he is worth being supported in his missionary venture to Spain. Chapter 12, he transitions from theology to an application of that theology and demonstrates what... What does this theology look like in life? And the first thing he says in verses 1 and 2 is that we should be transformed. And then in verses 3 and 5 particularly he says we ought to be transformed in the area of humility. We ought to think about ministry and life and service. And we ought to think about our place in the body of Christ with great humility. He's going to say that in a couple of different ways. First of all, he'll say at the beginning of verse 3, don't think too much about yourself and your gifts, right? In fact, he says almost that very thing. Through the grace given to me, verse 3, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. In other words, stop thinking about yourself. Stop focusing on yourself. Stop thinking of yourself, as one commentator said, as Mr. Big. Just stop thinking about yourself in an exalted position. But at the same time, do think rightly about yourself and God's gifts to you. That is, God has qualified us and equipped us to do something in the body so that while we aren't exalted and Christ is exalted, at the same time, God has gifted us. So he says we are to think so as to have sound judgment. So we ought to, we ought to think rightly about our position and our place in the body of Christ. We, we are needed. We are necessary. No one in the body of Christ is superfluous. No, I'm not big. No, I'm not exalted. No, I'm not preeminent. But God has knitted all of us together so that all of us are necessary for the body to function well. We can't do everything. But we can do something. We we can, verse 4, have a function in the body. We don't all have the same function, but we all do have a function. We have an operation in the body of Christ. So do think rightly about yourself and God's gifts. Do think and work faithfully with your gifts. That's the end of verse 3 through verse 5. So so God has allotted to each a measure of faith and and, and that is, we are to use the gifts that God has given to us and, and, and measure them out in faith or in faithfulness to the body of Christ. We ought to, we ought to serve faithfully with the, with the gifts that we have been given for the common benefit of the body of Christ. And then, at the beginning of verse 6, which is where we're going to start this morning, he says, do think of your gifts as a grace." from God the gift that you have is God's grace to you notice what he says in verse 6 since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us whatever we gift we have has been given to us by God's grace it's a manifestation of God's Mercy, kindness, it's an expression of His love towards us. In fact, all of the other passages about spiritual gifts, 1 Peter 4 and 1 Corinthians Corinthians 12 and then Ephesians 4, all intimate this very same thing. Either say it expressly or explicitly, or they intimate it that everything we have in gifting is an expression of God's grace to us. Our gifts are given to us by God as a privilege for us. And because of that, our gifts are never any reason for pride. There's never any reason for self-exaltation in our gifts because they're given graciously. They're given undeservedly. They're given unreservedly and undeservedly. So they're given without reservation and apart from anything that we deserve. Notice also that the Apostle says here that the gifts that are given differ. They're different for every believer. So the gift I have, even though I am one in marriage with Regine, we have very different gifting. And that's necessary, not just in the marriage relationship, but it's also necessary for the body of Christ. So the gifts differ But that difference is not just an arbitrary, I want to stick it to Terry and give him this gift, and I want to grace Rusty and give him that gift. No, no, no. What gift you have is a gift of God's grace. It's God saying... With what gift can I most effectively use this person in the body of Christ? How can I most manifest my love to this person? I'll give them this gift in this quantity or this combination of gifts so that they can most effectively serve in the body of Christ. Our gifts are a gracious provision from God who gives us what is good for us and what will bring Him glory. Notice also that as Paul lists these seven gifts in this passage, he also tells us either what attitude we ought to have in using the gift or how we should use the gift. So I I may not draw attention to it all the way through, but just notice what he says, uh, verse 7 If you have the gift of service in his serving, that is, if you have the gift of service, serve. If you have the gift of teaching, teach. If you have the gift of exhortation, then by all means exhort and compel others within the body of Christ. And then if you have the gift of giving, do so with liberality and with generosity. If you have the gift of leadership, do it with with the idea and with the motivation of diligence. And if you have the gift of mercy, do it with cheerfulness and with joy. The word is actually hilarity. So, So Paul not only tells us what some of these gifts are, But he also tells us how we are to use these gifts. What are the gifts that are given? He gives us three kinds of gifts in this passage. In verse 6, he gives us the foundational gifts, or one of the foundational gifts, the gift of prophecy so he says if you have gifts that di- we you do have gifts that differ and so each one of us is to exercise them accordingly and then he starts listing them the end of verse 6 if you have the gift of prophecy according to the proportion of your faith or the faith now there are a number of gifts that were given to the early church that we would call foundational gifts or transitional gifts that is they are gifts that were given to the church for the founding of the church and for the development of the early church. And then when the church was developed, those gifts slowly dissipated and went away. And one of those gifts is prophecy. Another of those gifts is apostleship. And then perhaps the more well-known gifts that fall into that category would be tongues, speaking in tongues, and then interpretation of tongues and miracles. That's a large topic And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to set that one aside for now and then we'll come back to that in a couple of weeks and just think about what did God do with foundational gifts and how are we to be thinking about them today. So just just say we'll get to that one at a later date. We don't have time to, to deal with all of these in one message so I want to give special attention to that particular gift at another time. But just recognize for now There are foundational gifts, and the gift of prophecy he mentions in verse 6 falls into that category. Then there are also, in verses 7 and 8, and he mixes the two together, there are serving gifts and teaching gifts. Now what I want to draw attention to first are the the serving gifts. Um, Here Paul identifies Four gifts of the six that are remaining that we would call serving gifts. They are serving, giving, leading, and showing mercy. It's not not all the gifts that we have that relate to service. Uh, Other passages, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, also identify other gifts of service like faith and discernment and pastor-teacher. And just a side note. We have four passages that talk about spiritual gifts. None of the passages has a list that directly corresponds to any of the lists in any of the other passages. In other words, there are variations in all four of those passages. In fact, in 1 Peter 4, Peter only lists two gifts serving and teaching and we think it probably he's just thinking of very broad categories of service and teaching and not thinking necessarily about those two specific gifts so so i don't think we have a complete list of all of the spiritual gifts i think what we have in in these passages including romans 12 is just a sampling of the gifts and then add to that, there is a variation in the gift. So he's already drawn attention to the fact that there are that there is a difference in the way we receive gifts. And I think that difference is not just, well, Regine has the gift of evangelism, I have the gift of pastor teacher. But I think there's a there's there's variation in that she also has some other gifting that pairs along with her evangelism gift. And there's also I don't know how to say this, percentages or quantities that vary among people so that so that we could have virtually an unlimited number of kinds of ways that these gifts are blended together within different people within the body. So, So I think what we have here, certainly in Romans 12, we know it's not a complete list, it's just a sample list, but I think as you take all of the gifts... In all of these passages, we still don't have a complete list. We just have a sampling of the kinds of gifts that God gives. Okay, so the serving gifts. What are the serving gifts that he lists here? Verse 7, the gift of service. That's a word that is sometimes translated as ministry. It's the word from which we get our word deacon. It's a broad word. It's a general word. It's a word that was used originally to refer to waiters. And then... And then came to be used for anyone who was in a lowly position or lowly service or a humble kind of a service. In fact, it was used in Acts chapter 6 about those who would first serve as deacons. And what was the first thing that the deacons were assigned to do? Serve tables. They were waiters. It was a, it was a humble task. And at the same time, it took spirit-filled men to accomplish that task. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have a similar gift that is listed there. It's called the gift of helps, which is ironically or interestingly the only New Testament word uh, use of that particular word. And that word helps simply means to come alongside And assist someone. It particularly refers to the assistance of those who are incapable of caring for themselves. The poor, the sick, widows, orphans, travelers, strangers. So someone who is, we might say, down on their luck and incapable. They need help. They can't do it on their own. And that one comes alongside and helps them. Now you might be asking... Well, this seems to be a pretty simple thing, the gift of service, the gift of helps. Why, why do you need the Spirit of God to do that? I mean, if you think about the gift of service as, well, you got to cook a meal for somebody whose uh, family member is in the hospital or somebody who's bereaved. I mean, anybody can, well, not anybody can cook a meal, but everybody can at least heat something in the microwave. Anybody can mow a lawn. Anybody can get in the car and run an errand and pick up a prescription for somebody. Why do, you, why, do you need, why do you need the Holy Spirit to produce this gift in you? Because it's not just making a meal. It's not just showing up at somebody's house and, and, and cleaning their house. It's not just mowing someone's lawn. It's doing it at the right time. It's doing it with the right motive. It's, it's being attentive to needs and not just saying to someone, hey, if you need any help, give me a call. That's not probably someone with the gift of service. The one with the gift of service says, let me think about how I can minister to you. And then says, do you need help with this? 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 Because I'm here and I'm willing to do any or all of the above. And friends, that takes the Spirit of God. And it takes the Spirit of God to do it with humility and to say, it's not about me. It's about caring for someone who is in the flock. You know, sometimes people will say something like, "Um, well, it's obvious I don't have the gift of apostleship. That one's gone. It's obvious I don't have the gift of teacher. It's obvious, if you saw my desk, I don't have the gift of administration. I guess, I guess I've guess i got the gift of service. And we kind of think of the gift of service as a consolation prize. Well, thanks for playing our game, and um, good luck next time. And as a consolation prize, you get the gift of service. Brothers, it's a gift from God who looked at your life and said, the best way I can use you in the body of Christ is to give you the gift of service. One writer says, this gift is not to be minimized. These persons are as significant in a local church as linemen are to a football squad. You know, over the years, Regine and I have made a few meals for people and taken them over. And I thought, well, I mean, it's kind of a nice thing to do. I mean, you get a night off from cooking. And uh, I suppose that's helpful. And then about 20 years ago, Jean's mom got sick with cancer and Regine was going out to visit her mom and um, and now I had two young children. I had a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. Girls, I didn't know how to do hair. I don't know, didn't know how to braid. I don't know how to braid. I could kind of run a brush through and more or less get it straight. Anything beyond that, I was in trouble. And I would run them to school, and I would do everything that needed to be done with them, and then I'd come up here and I'd work all day, and then I'd go home early, and I'd pick them up from school, and then we'd do homework and we'd do all that other stuff, and then there'd be ding dong. And there's a meal. And it's like, thank you. Thank you. Because it was going to be cereal tonight (laughs) without this meal. It's a gift of grace, isn't it? You ever received one of those? And you think, oh, it's just a meal. No, brothers, it's God's grace manifested through the body of Christ to care for you in that moment. And there are hundreds of other things to do as well. Don't minimize that gift. It's a, it's a gift of God's grace. The gift of service. There's another gift of, that serves. It is the gift of giving. The gift of giving. This is verse 8. He who gives with liberality. The word gives means to share with someone. You know, there are people who are particularly spiritually equipped to give to others. But that does not mean you need to be wealthy in order to have this gift. In fact, in Second Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul talks about the Philippian church who out of their poverty gave with liberality. And I think what was going on there is you had a whole church filled with people with the spiritual gift of giving even though they were poverty stricken. They begged Paul. They compelled Paul. Here, take this gift and give it to the Jerusalem church. And Paul said, no, 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 no. You you guys need it yourselves. No, Paul. We have to give this gift. That's not just individuals with the gift of giving. That's a church with the gift of giving. And notice as well, it doesn't just have to be a monetary gift. Listen to what Paul says about his ministry among the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased, 1 Thess 2.8, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. The one who has the gift of giving doesn't just give monetarily, doesn't just throw money at a project, but he gives himself to that. How does he, how does he give his gifts? Notice what he says here, with liberality. That word liberality might be translated open-handed or open-hearted. It's a generous kind of giving. It's the kind of giving that says, how can I, how can I give even more? I've given you this, but what, what else can I give you? What else can I do? How else can I share with you? But that word can also have another meaning. It might have the idea of simplicity. In other words, the person gives with a single-minded purpose. There's no mixed motives. There's no hidden agenda. You ever gotten a gift with a hidden agenda? You ever gotten a gift with strings attached? It's not really a gift in the long run, is it? And the one who gives with liberality and openness gives with simplicity. And he says, here's the gift, just use it. There's no motive other than I want to share. There's nothing in it for me, I just want to share. If a person has this gift, no matter how much money he has, he has the money, but the money doesn't have him. And so he can give with liberality and generosity. There's the gift of leading, the gift of leading. He who leads... With diligence. The basic sense of the word lead is to be in front of someone, and so we have the idea of rulership or leading. But it also has the idea of not just leading, but the idea of leading for the purpose of giving protection, of representation. It's a word that's used in 1 Timothy 3 of both elders and deacons, that they lead by protecting, by caring for others. And what's particularly noteworthy about this gift is that as the one who has this gift leads, he is to do so with diligence, with eagerness. He's truly committed to providing care for his people that have been entrusted to him. He's he's faithful. He's eager to carry out his responsibilities even when they don't want leadership. Leadership. Someone someone needs to guide, someone needs to direct. Regina and I developed the saying over the, over the years. Someone around here needs to be the parent, right? Well, someone around here needs to lead. And not everybody always wants leadership. and some push against leadership and some resist leadership. And the one who has the gift of leadership says, I know I'm going to get pushback. This is where we need to go to be faithful to Christ. One doesn't have to have an official office in the church to have this gift. You don't have to be an elder. You don't have to be a deacon to have this gift. And well... Well, there's an element in which all elders and deacons ought to have this gift in some measure. Some of us have it more, and some of us have it less. In all honesty, I look at Pastor Keith, I don't know how many times. We, we have, we have a, a staff meeting every Wednesday. A staff meeting is at Grumps, in case you're curious. Suffering for Jesus, I know, but somebody's got to do it. And I don't know how many times I've sat at the table across from Keith And he said, hey, have you been thinking about this? Have you thought about this? And how about if we do this? And he's just, I don't know if you get this feeling with Keith, but I always feel like I'm three steps behind him. What's that? That's the gift of leadership. Now, I'm supposed to have it, kind of, sort of, and I kind of, sort of, maybe do in a very, very small quantity, but Keith's got it in spades. Can you say spades in church? I just realized that. He's got it. He's out in front of us. He's leading us. There's a reason why He's the chairman of the board. Because He's got that gift way better than the rest of us. And He helps us think, where are we going? What are we doing? How are we going to care for this people? That's the gift of leadership. Gift of mercy. It's another gift of service. The one who has the gift of mercy, verse 8, He shows mercy with cheerfulness. This is a person that has compassion and empathy for people who are suffering. This is is related to the characteristic of God that has produced our salvation. Remember verse 1, I urge you brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. God has been merciful to you, given you salvation. And out of His mercy... In correspondence to His mercy, He has also graced people within the body with gifts of mercy and compassion as well. This is what our Savior was like. Does it not have ever struck you as you have read through the Gospels how many times people came to Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on me. Why did I say that? Because Christ was a place to find mercy where Christ would look at people and say, I have compassion on them for their need in this circumstance. The one who has mercy, Paul says, should demonstrate that gift and use that gift with cheerfulness. That word cheerfulness, we might translate as graciousness. That's our word hilarity or hilarious It's overflowing joy. This is the kind of word that that leads Paul and Silas to sing when they're in the depths of prison. Because they have joy in Christ. Why does someone who has the gift of mercy need to do it with joy and, and hilariousness? Because, friends, when we are merciful to others, it's not always hilarious, is it? I, I've, I've, I've seen and heard examples of, of people in our body going to care for others and having to do things, well, from my standpoint, having, from their standpoint, getting to do things that are just unmentionable, even. They're just hard cleaning up physical messes as a ministry to people. And they come back and they laugh. Not at the person, but at the situation. And have joy. Say, I'm so grateful God had me in that position to care for that person in that way. It's not a begrudging duty, but it's a happy, impulsive, immediate response. This is the good Samaritan as he's traveling along and he sees the man who has been beat and he's willing to inconvenience his schedule, his time, his money, his resources because he wants to do it with joy and care for others. Those are serving gifts. Again, not all the serving gifts are listed here in Romans Twelve, but those are some of the gifts that we would call serving gifts. There is another category of gifts. Oops, summary. Got to follow my notes. A lot of the gifts that we have are not prominent gifts. You look at that list, they're not prominent, are they? You look at those things and you say, those aren't the big things. They're done quietly. They're away from public view. They're designed that way. So that we don't take preeminence but so that the Spirit of God takes preeminence. And brothers and sisters, can we all just recognize that we all need these things? That all of us need these gifts practiced on us because we're not self-sufficient. We need others coming alongside us and bearing us up and serving us and caring for us and equipping us and pouring into us. These gifts also are designed to make us look like the Savior. The Savior was perfect in every way. Everything He did was perfect. And He had a fullness of the working of the Spirit within Him. He had a fullness of the Spirit He had a fullness of the Spirit's gifting and everything that he had from the Spirit he used perfectly. And when we use our gifts well, we look like the Savior and we're transformed into the likeness of the Savior. There's another category of gifts, the teaching gifts or the speaking gifts Here Paul identifies two. One of them is the gift of teaching. This is the person who has the ability to interpret and then present the truth of God's Word in an understandable way. This is the guy that when he teaches, you go, Ah, I get it. And now you read that same passage and you say, Ah, now I see it. I didn't understand that before. Now I understand what this passage means. Now I understand how this passage relates to my life, relates to ministry, relates to this world. So he takes the book and he opens it and he unfolds it and he explains it in a way that is discernible. He may not be the most gifted communicator. We're not talking about someone who's a stand up comic. We're talking about someone who understands the Scriptures and explains them well. Along with that, it's not just the gift of teaching, but the gift of exhortation. He who exhorts, he says at the beginning of verse 8, is to do so in his exhortation. The word exhort means to call someone to his side. And it has the idea of a couple of different ideas. One is that that it calls someone to action. It calls someone to be prepared for battle. He, he advises others. He pleads with them. He, he warns them. He strengthens them. This is the guy that comes alongside and says, brother, you know, I love you, but you've got to repent. This, this is going to take you down a trail that is disastrous to your soul. I urge you to repent. You need to change. You need to grow. You need to embrace Christ. You need to embrace Christ's provision for you. Here, let me stand alongside you and walk with you and hold you up as you go. But brother, you've got to change. And don't aren't you thankful for people who come alongside and say, Brother, I love you, but you've got a problem. That's the gift of exhortation. But but exhortation also can have another sense. It has the idea of consolation. Someone who's weak. He needs to be strengthened. It's not that he's in rebellion to the scriptures, he's just weary, he's tired, he's overwhelmed. And this brother comes alongside and says, Here, let me help you. I know you're tired. I know it's hard. But let me come alongside. Both of these ideas are contained in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We urge you, brothers, admonish the unruly. That's that that exhortation. Brother, repent. And then encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. And so this brother that is an exhorter is able to discern what's this person's life situation And what does he need to help him take another step towards Christ? And he points him to Christ, exhorts him to Christ. So in this passage, we we have serving gifts and we have teaching gifts. Some have one, others have another, others have a blending of these gifts. The point is simply this, we need each other. And God has put these gifts in different places, in different quantities, in different mixtures, in different people, right? That's verse 6. The gifts all differ so that the body functions well. And if we don't all use our gifts, then guess what happens? The body doesn't function to its fullness I got in bed last night. Regine and I spent about three hours yesterday morning and into the afternoon trimming some shrubs. And it's not like trimming shrubs. It's like 12-foot shrubs and I'm on a ladder and with a big, you know, hedge clipper thing, cutting stuff down, went through two shirts, just drenched them. And I got into bed last night and about two I woke up and it's like, oh, my shoulder, my shoulder. And it's like, Shoulder up into the neck, up into the base of my skull. Oh, yeah, my legs, my knee, right? I told you I had a birthday this week, right? What's happening? It's not functioning. The body's not functioning the way it should. And brothers and sisters, that's what happens to the church body when we don't exercise the gifts that God has given us. We wake up at two in the morning and we say, something's wrong. We're missing something. Yeah. We're missing some of the gifting. We're missing some of what what we need in order to care for the flock. How do you discover your spiritual gifts? I did three messages on spiritual gifts several years ago. You, I think you can still find them on our website. Um... I'm just going to give you the cursory overview of it. Very simply, how do you discover discover your gift? You know your gift by what you do. What do you do where you find unusual effectiveness in doing what you do? What, what do What do you do within the context of the body of Christ where people say, Wow, that was really helpful. That was really timely. That really ministered to me. It may be that that is where your gift is. I remember uh, many, many years ago, we had a fellowship meal up here, and um, there was one brother. They've moved on. They live in a different part of the state now. And uh, a good brother, faithful brother, and Regine went up to him at the end of the meal and said. Hey, brother, I just want to thank you. Every time we have one of these meals, you're always serving and you're always clearing the table and you're always washing dishes, and I I just want to thank you for that service. And his, his response to Regine was an honest, Yeah, well, you don't see my heart. In other words, he was serving with grumbling. That might not be his spiritual gift. He might do it a lot but if he's doing it with grumbling, probably not his gift. So so where 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 do you serve in ways that are particularly effective? You also know your gifts by your godly desires. When someone walks in obedience, submission to the Lord, delighting in Him, then our desires will be aligned to His desires and He will give us what we want. So what do you want to do? I mentioned Regine has the gift of evangelism. She always pushes back on me when I say that. But but there are very few people I know that when they wake up, before their feet even hit the ground, they're thinking, who can I share the gospel with today? I don't have that gift. I have a reminder on my calendar. shows up every Monday at 8 a.m. Share the gospel with somebody this week because I need to be reminded. That is not Regine. She doesn't need to be reminded. She wakes up thinking, gospel opportunity. I go to the Y, I put in my earbuds, I get on my machine, I do my thing, I leave. The earbuds never leave. I talk to no one. Regine walks in to the YMCA and goes, "Radar, radar, radar. Who can I talk to the gospel, uh, talk about with the gospel?" I thought the Y was to exercise. Regine says the Y is to exercise a spiritual gift. That's the difference. What do you what do you desire? What do you long to do? And then make sure that you notice It's a godly desire, right? What's your godly desire? And then we know, whoops. We know our gifts by the affirmation of others. So what have other people told you that you're effective in doing? And brothers and sisters, we can help others along that way and just say, hey, you just seem really, really effective when you do fill in the blank." I've just seen you do that like six times in the past couple of months. And it just seems that the Lord is making you effective in that area. And maybe you have that spiritual gift. So we we can come alongside and help others discern their spiritual gifts. Let me just also add in here very quickly. When I was in college, the way to know your spiritual gifts, so this is going back like 35, 40 years ago, Carl's nodding his head. He knows the way to find your spiritual gift was to fill out a spiritual gift inventory and then you got a grade at the bottom and that told you, brothers, that's not the way to find your spiritual gift. Just just get in the body and start serving and start doing these things and then see what the Lord will do and accomplish through you. One last thing. Where. Can I use my gift at Grace Bible Church? I'm glad, glad you asked. Thank you for asking that. That's a great question. We need teachers. Where do we need teachers? We need Good News Club teachers. By the grace of God, we'll do that again in the spring. We need Awana teachers and Awana substitutes. We need Children's Sunday School teachers and substitutes. We need Children's Church teachers and substitutes. And... We need children's Sunday school and children's church to start back up again, and maybe in the near future it will. We need home group leaders. Uh, we we need people who are willing to invest and disciple and train others through the Word of God. We need we need technology assistance. We need we need guys to run the soundboard and the video board. We need guys to and gals to 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 do things like running um, social media things. Uh, so we need technological things. We need counselors. This is, we need exhorters in the counseling room. We need people who are going to go through the process of training and equipping and getting themselves equipped so that they can come alongside and disciple and counsel and point people to God with the Word of God. We need door greeters and people to serve on the safety team We need people to do visitor follow-up and and assimilating people into the body of Christ. Somebody doesn't like that word assimilation. He says it sounds too much like the Borg. I don't know a better word. Uh, We just want to get people connected to the body of Christ. Maybe we'll use that word connection if I remember. We need nursery helpers. We need hospitality teams. We need musicians, singers. Aren't we blessed by the people who are helping to lead our worship on Sunday mornings? It's been sweet. I'm thankful for that. We need facility maintenance. We need door-to-door evangelism. We need CBCD conference support. We need, we need all kinds of things. In other words, all these things, we've, you have, if you have a gift, oh, wait a minute, since you have a gift, we have a place for you to use that gift. And by the way, you don't even need a formal ministry, do you? You can pick up a phone call and you can exhort, and you can serve, and you can help, and you can administrate without formal ministry in the body. And so many of you are doing that. We're grateful for that, but we need to press on, don't we? And do it all the more. Father, thank You for the gifted people that You have given us. Thank You that, well... We may not have the gift always that we want in the quantity that we want. We have exactly the gift that we need from you. We have a gift that is best for us and best for this church body. And we thank you for that. And we understand, Father, that the gifts that we have in service of caring for one another within the body come from our Savior, they're an overflow from his death and resurrection. Because he died, and when we believed, we died with him, and because he was resurrected and when we believed, we were resurrected with him, he has granted to us the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is producing these gifts. So again, everything we have is because of Him and what He's done for us. And we thank You. Would You now lead us into a humble remembrance of Christ our Savior, crucified, risen, ascended, exalted, and coming again. We pray in His name. Amen.